This morning, we're going to continue in our series here, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. We're in Mark chapter 5 already. So that leaves us with only 11 chapters left to go. But, but Mark chapter 5. And so I've entitled this sermon kind of the, the, the idea is the devil made me do it. That's, that's, the, that's kind of my, my underlying theme for this, this sermon today. I told you last week that we would be talking about demon possession today. And it was late one night when these two men were walking home from a party. And they were pretty tired. And they were desperate to get home. And so what they decided to do was to take a shortcut through a cemetery. Now that was their... That was the problem right there. There's no way in the world at nighttime I would walk through a cemetery, much less drive through it. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't drive through. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to walk through. But so they got to the middle of the graveyard, and they heard this this, this startling sound, and, and 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 so they stopped right there in their tracks. You know, they were terrified of this noise. This noise sounded like a tap, 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 and they they couldn't figure out where it was coming from and so they began to tremble with fear and so as they walked a little bit more they spotted this old man with a hammer and a chisel and he was chipping away at one of the tombstones hey mister one of them said as as they were trying to catch their breath you know you scared us half to death we thought you were a ghost and, and one of the guys said, why in the world, or what are you doing working here so late at night? And the old man grumbled, those fools, they spelt my name wrong. <laughs> you know, I would have said, bye-bye, I'm out of here. And I probably would have wet my britches a little bit on that one. I would have been gone. Do you guys remember... It was probably been more than 30 years ago when Flip Wilson had his, um, he, he kept American Stitches with his television program. Do you remember that? Some of you are shaking your heads. He had this character, well, he actually had two characters that he played. One of them was Reverend Leroy, the friendly, pompous pastor of the church of what's happening now. That was the church that he went to, what's happening now. And then he played another character. Does anybody remember the character's name? That's right, Geraldine Jones. He played this lady. And he was hilarious in, in some of the things that he said, but she was a sassy African-American woman with, in a miniskirt. She always had a miniskirt on. So whenever Geraldine would impulsively buy a dress, which was all the time, she would buy a dress all the time, or do anything that she shouldn't, she excused her urges by uttering the one line that she made famous. And what word, what line is that? The devil made me do it. <laughs> oh, that, that's pretty funny. Well, America laughed at Geraldine for her obviously lame excuse. In fact, to say that the devil made me do it became the rage all over the country after that. Of course, we all know that the devil wants us to sin, doesn't he? He absolutely does. But everybody knew the truth. Everybody knows. You know, in the Garden of Eden, 
God confronted Adam and Eve after they had sinned. And their reaction set the course for an entire race of blame shifters. An entire race of blame shifters. See, because Adam blamed his wife and God. If you read the scripture there, Adam blamed his wife and God. But then he confessed, I ate. What did Eve do? Eve blamed the serpent, but then later on she confessed, I ate. You know, it's always easier to point the finger at someone or something else when we sin. We even add, and and our society right now is, is doing this big time. We even add influences like genetics, I was born that way, or, or, or the influence of our environment, you know, genetics made me do it, you know, this is the way I grew up, you know, but we, we add that to our arsenal of excuses as to why we like to sin. And while these may play a part in influencing us along with the devil and his demons because they are there to influence you to sin, I want to tell you right now, just like God said to Adam and Eve, the final decision to sin lies squarely on our shoulders. Each one of us individually lies squarely on our shoulders. In spite of the devil's initiative, God held Adam and he held Eve responsible for their own sins. And he's going to hold us responsible for our own sins. You know, because the devil can entice us. The devil enticed them without a doubt. But he did not make them sin. You realize that he he didn't he didn't break their arm saying you got to do this. They chose to do that. He did not make them sin. Uh, and again, he he might have enticed them. But just just remember that we have an adversary who's prancing around like a roaring lion, and he wants you to sin. He wants you to be down on yourself. He wants you to feel miserable. He wants to steal the joy out of your lives. That's what he wants to do. See, according to Job chapter 1, verse 12, the devil has been allowed to inflict the righteous. Uh, According to Luke chapter 4, verse 6, he is also given authority over the world. And there are two very dangerous extremes to avoid with regards to the devil who is our ancient foe. He is our ancient enemy. The first one is this. It's dismissing Satan as a myth. And the second one is this, is glorifying Satan by giving him a footstool in your life. Those are two things that you need to be really careful of that you don't allow. Remember, and this is the greatest part about it, guys. Remember that he is not equal in power with God as we're going to see in our story today, he doesn't even come close. In fact, he is not a God at all. He is a created being. He is a fallen angel. And Jesus has victory over Satan every single time. And guess what? Because Jesus had victory over Satan and he does every single time, we too can have victory over Satan every single time. We are overcomers just like Jesus was an overcomer. So if you've been with us these last several weeks, 
you know that we have begun and continue to do this journey that's going to take us from the banks of the Jordan River and it's going to ultimately lead us to an empty tomb out on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And it's going to take us to several different points in between. You know, and so it's, it's, it's pretty exciting to be able to do that. You know, the Gospel of Mark is going to be our tour guide on this journey as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And even though Mark is the shortest Gospel of all the Gospels, Mark actually records more events than any other Gospel. Did you know that? He rec- well, you should have known that because I've told you that the last three or four weeks. If you're shaking your head, well, then you're not listening. Come on, you got to listen to me. <laughs> and so, so it, you know, it makes it a very fast-paced, action-packed biography of Jesus. And it really is the ideal starting point for anyone wishing to get to know Jesus better. You know, the question I ask you, and I've asked you this every week, is where he leads me, I will follow. Will you? That's the question you have to answer yourself. Will you, wherever he leads you, because he's going to lead you in places that you don't want to go, will you follow? So thus far, we've witnessed the baptism of Jesus. We've seen a man lowered through the ceiling so that Jesus could heal him. And remember, Jesus wasn't in an easy spot. He was not in an easy spot for that man to get to. And I think Jesus was testing them to see how far they would go to come to Jesus, to get to Jesus. How far will you go to get to Jesus? You know, we watch Jesus heal a man on the Sabbath in, in defiance of the religious leaders. And, and, and last Sunday in, in Mark chapter 4, we ended the story with Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Remember that? That story? This terror had struck, you know, his followers with, 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 of whom he, you know, these guys were veteran fishermen and they were scared to death out on that ocean or on that sea, the Sea of Galilee when that storm came up. Evidently, it must have been one heck of a storm. They looked around and they found peril. They were scared to death. They looked within and, and they panicked. But the one thing that they didn't do, they didn't look to Jesus to find comfort, to find peace. I hope and pray that we don't do that. That when we have the storms raging around us, that the only peaceful place to be is right next to Jesus in that boat that's rocking all over the place. That's the only place to be. Right by Him. So even in the midst of the storm, they could have had faith in Jesus' plans and His presence and His power. And so can we. That's what's exciting about it. You know, in some ways, I'm almost envious of Jerry. Because when he goes home, when he steps across that threshold, there's going to be so many people waiting for him. But the most important of all is Jesus is going to be there just waiting to give him a big hug. And I guarantee you that Jerry will stop as soon as Jesus gives him a hug and, and start telling him a story. He's going he's to tell Jesus a story. I guarantee you that's the first thing he's going to do when he gets there. I know he is. So that brings us to our passage today. Mark chapter 5 tells us of a man possessed by a legion of demons. 
and, and it talks about a herd of suicidal pigs. You know, so before we dig into the story, I want to point out that the Bible treats demon possession as a real issue. So if you think it's fake or whatever, the Bible doesn't treat it that way. You know, this man is, is not just deranged or suffering from mental illness, nor is this encounter just symbolic of evil in the world today. The Bible presents demon possession as a sober reality. It happens. It happens. Maybe you have experienced it. But unfortunately, for most Americans, demonology is shaped primarily by one movie and one TV program. And they, it, they're not consistent with a biblical worldview of what demonology is all about. Does anybody know the cult classic, the 1973 cult classic that really shaped us? The Exorcist. Any of you see that movie? Uh, yeah, I can't. I, it's, t- it's tough to watch. Um, it's so real and it, it scares, it, it just scared the living daylights out of me. I, I can't watch it. And that, that, that major TV series that's really wildly popular now deals with the Winchester boys and supernatural. And, and every week in that series, they're fighting a demon of some sort. But it's not consistent with a biblical worldview. I like what C.S. Lewis wrote in the foreword of his satirical novel. Anybody ever read the screw tape letters? Okay. The, it's really good, and, and C.S. Lewis really captures a lot here. The, the subtitle here says, How a Senior Devil Instructs a Junior Devil in the Art of Temptation. And I think C.S. Lewis really captures a lot of it, but it's, it's amazing to me what the devil can do to twist things around. And C.S. Lewis captures that. But here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, talking about the human race, can fall about the devils, meaning Satan and his demons. He says, One is to disbelieve in their existence. That's what he says. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. We've already talked a little bit about that. He says, they themselves, the devils, the demons, are equally pleased with both errors. Absolutely. And they hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Interesting what he has to say there. And so... With that in mind, let's look at Mark chapter 5. And it's verses 1 through 20, but we're going to take little pieces at a time here. Here's what Mark chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 say. It says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. You know, Luke chapter 8 says that there was one man that came out. Matthew tells us that there were actually two demon-possessed men here in in the Gerasene graveyard. I think that what Mark and Luke are doing, though, is I think that Mark and Luke are doing, they are focusing on the one who is doing the talking. 
That's, I think that's what they're doing. But you know what I, what I see here is I see a progression in the rest of this passage that we can sum up in three words. I'm going to give you three words today that's going to sum up this passage. And we're going to look at these throughout the passage here this morning. These three words, I think what they do is they encapsulate the experience of this demon-possessed man. And the first word is this. The first word that describes this demon-possessed man is the word destruction. Sounds plausible, doesn't it? Dealing with demons. It's destruction. And it seems like many people today don't give the devil his due. They really don't. In fact, I I got a story to tell you. I want you to listen to the story about a church where Sunday morning service was just going absolutely great. It would have been like our worship service this morning. You guys did a great job, and I, I love those songs that you picked out. And so everything was going smoothly when all of a sudden this flash of light and smoke appeared in front of the pulpit, followed by this loud boom. When the smoke cleared, the astonished congregation saw this red figure with horns, a pitchfork, and a pointy tail standing right in front of them. And so immediately this panic set in. People were rushing for the doors everywhere they could get out. They were, tra- they were almost trampling on each other to get away. Satan watched with great happiness. I mean, he was just absolutely ecstatic watching these people be afraid of him. But you know what? His mood changed. It was, it was disturbed by the sight of this one man. This one man sitting in the pew. He didn't budge. So Satan basically comes up to him and says, do you know who I am? And the man replied with this nonchalant, sure, I know who you are. You know, well, Satan was puzzled at that point. Well, don't you fear me? And the man looked at him with all seriousness of mind and said, nope, I don't fear you at all. And Satan stammered, you know, he's, he's, he's wondering now, well, why not? Why don't you fear me? And the man responded with great confidence. I mean, he was absolutely confident. He says, what do I need to fear you for? I've been married to your sister for 35 years, and I don't need to be afraid of you at all. You know what? It is easy for us, it is easy for us to laugh and make light of Satan when our mental picture of him is this caricature, isn't it? This, this, this man in a red suit with horns and a, and a pointy tail and a pitchfork. It's easy for us to make fun of that. Um, but I want to tell you something. Mark describes Satan and this, this demon possessed man, and it is no laughing matter. Listen to what Mark says in, in verses three through five. He says, this man lived in the tombs. He lived in the graveyard and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with chains. I mean, he would rip the chains off. They couldn't bind him. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. That's a pretty strong dude. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And it says, night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out 
and cut himself with stones. That's what it tells us there. Wow. Well, think about that for a minute. It was still dark when Jesus and the, 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 the apostles or the disciples landed on the shore right there at the cemetery as soon as Jesus disembarked he got out of the boat this wild man was on him like like a pack of wild dogs on a three-legged cat I mean they were just they were just all over him this this demon-possessed man you know I think that this would have been pretty eerie experience especially for the disciples their nerves had just been shot. They were on a boat and the storm had, had just, just absolutely shot their nerves. And, and, and now they, they come to the other side of the, of the, of the lake. And here, here's a demon possessed man. In, in Luke chapter eight, verse 29, Luke tells us that, that he didn't have a stitch of clothes on. You know, here it says, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of him. Many times it had, it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken those chains and he had driven out the demon into a solitary place. This man, many times, you know, it, it says there, he did not even have clothes on and he was driven by these demons, you know. And so, so he, he made his dwelling among the dead. That's what he did. He was, he was defiled. He was depraved. He was, he was extremely desperate. And you know what? Satan, Satan loves to distort and to destroy the image of God in people. And that's just what he did to this man. He was doing that to him. Satan had wrecked him and society couldn't reform him. We have places like that for people now, don't we? We don't let them stay in a graveyard. We put them in an institution. His problem couldn't be solved by a social program or by a psychologist. You know, self-help pr programs, they weren't going to help him because he was pretty much self-destructive. You know, nothing could restrain him. You know, his lifestyle was destroying him. And he never stopped crying or cutting himself with stones. That's what he did. So in short, he was hopeless and he was helpless. He was isolated and completely empty. He was trapped and he was tormented. Just absolutely tormented. And you know what he needed more than anything else? He needed someone to deliver him. That's what he needed. And this is what Satan does in our lives, guys. You know, whether it's through possession or oppression or a willing surrender to his influence, you know, it's not likely that any of us would ever be possessed by a demon. You know, it's not as common as Sam and Dean Winchester on Supernatural would, would like us to believe you know, it's fighting a demon every single day, it seems like. In fact, I am convinced that God allowed 
situations like this in isolated parts of the world during the New Testament just so Jesus could demonstrate his power over Satan. I believe that. But see, notice how the demons respond to seeing Jesus. Notice what it says there in Mark chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, this demon, who knew Jesus was? In God's name, don't torture me. That's what he says to him. You know, this was a, a shriek of, of fear and rebellion against Jesus. Just like this demon, many in our society are screaming at God. They hate the church. They hate Christian values. You know, they say, why are you interfering with me? Get out of my life. I want to do as I want to do. Don't tell me what I can do and what I can't do. You know, when, when people reject Jesus and his authority, what they are doing, what you are doing, what I am doing, when we reject Jesus, is that we are just allowing him. We are, we are putting them, we're putting ourselves on the side of demons. That's what we're doing. And we need to be really careful that we don't allow that to happen. The more we allow sin and Satan to get a foothold in our lives, the more destructive he's going to be in your life. Guaranteed. You know, I want to just get off a side note here. Do you remember that guy by the name of Ted Bundy? Remember Ted Bundy? Ted Bundy grew up in a Christian church. And slowly he allowed Satan to have a foothold in his life. And every time, it got deeper and deeper till the point where he started the first time he killed someone. Then, then it became easier each time. And that's the progression that Satan wants in our lives. The more we allow sin, the more we allow Satan to get a foothold in our lives, the more destructive he can be. Ted Bundy was a prime example of what that was. Now that's to the extreme, but still... A sin is a sin in God's eyes. It doesn't matter if you're killing someone or if you're gossiping about someone. In God's eyes, it's a sin. And so we, we need to never underestimate Satan's destructive power. You know, in, in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, the Bible calls him the destroyer. See that right there? The Bible in, in the Greek it calls him the destroyer. That's what, that's what he does. That's what Satan does. He destroys. And, and the worst part is he gets us to do it ourselves. He gets us to do it to ourselves. See, these, these men or this, this man here in the, in the Gerasene graveyard was no doubt an extreme example of what Satan can do, but, but Satan would do the same to each one of us if he could do that. He absolutely would. But thankfully, their story doesn't end here. This man that's demon-possessed, he experiences our next word, 
The second word to describe this demon-possessed man is this. It's deliverance. It's deliverance. Destruction to deliverance. You know, the, these demons instantly recognize Jesus. Remember that when we just read that? They called Jesus by name. Jesus, the, the Son of God, the Most High God. They called him by name. So Jesus responds by demanding the demon's name. Notice what it says there in verses 8 and 9. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? What is your name? Remember that commercial? (laughs) My, My name is Legion. He replied, For we are many. Well, let's look at that for a second. A Roman legion is what we're we're looking at here. Consisted of 6,000 highly trained soldiers. That was a a Roman legion. So this is implying that this man had an army of evil spirits inside of him. He had an army of evil spirits. And I can only imagine the anxiety and the anguish they inflicted on this man. 6,000 demons inside of you. You know, it's, it's no wonder he cried out and he cut himself day and night. No, no wonder. But then something really strange and revealing happens. Look at what verse 9 says there again in Mark, Mark 5, 9 there. It says, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are Minty. Um, in this passage here, he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Not to send him out. He didn't want to go out of the area. He, he, Luke elaborates on that. In Luke chapter 8, verse 31, he says, and, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss That's what he does. He's begging him. And the the abyss described in Revelation is this deepest, darkest pit of Hades. Jude, in his his book, describes it as a prison of darkness where demons await the day of judgment. That's the abyss. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 3, we discover that Jesus has since locked and sealed the abyss until the day of judgment. He threw him into the abyss and he locked and he sealed it over him. And they're just awaiting judgment now. See, here's the point that I'm going to try to make here. These these demons are terrified of Jesus. They are absolutely terrified. They knew that they were outmatched the moment that he set foot on the shore. They knew it. They knew who he was. They knew they were outmatched. You know, an, an army of, uh, of evil spirits cowering on their knees before Christ. You get that picture? That's what judgment's going to be like. You know, th- they, didn't, they didn't prepare for battle. Rather, they fell at, on their knees and they begged for mercy. I think this underscores the reality that even demons, guys, Even demons are not atheists or agnostic. That needs to tell you something there. Even demons believe 
and they shudder. You know, that's what March or James chapter 2, verse 19 says. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they, they shudder. They, sh- they shake in their shoes. This is where the story gets even stranger, I think. Look what Mark chapter 5, verses 10 through 13 said. It says, And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Can you imagine being the owner of those pigs? You know, the demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. So he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and they went into the pigs. The herd, which was about 2,000 pigs in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake where they drowned. Hmm. Pretty interesting, I think. This passage right here raises a whole lot of classroom questions. You know, I'm thinking that it raises a lot. You know, first question is, why did Jesus grant their request? Why did he do that? You know, why, why did the pigs immediately run off the cliff into their, to their doom? You know, what happened to the demons after the pigs drowned? You know, those are things that I'm thinking about. You know, did they find someone else to torment or did they go back into the abyss? You know, was this, was this the first recorded um, passage of, of deviled ham? You know, <laughs> who knows? You know, so whatever questions we might have, and I can't answer all those questions, but whatever questions we might have, one thing is very clear in this, and that is that Jesus demonstrated supreme authority and ability over these demons. These demons couldn't do anything without Jesus' permission. We make a mistake when we imagine that Satan and Jesus are two equal and opposite foes or forces, no way. Satan doesn't stand a chance. He is nowhere anywhere near the plane that Jesus is. For, see, they aren't. Satan may seek our destruction, but Jesus brings about our deliverance. And Satan can't do a thing about it. So as news begin to spread... People from the nearby town and surrounding countryside, they rushed out to see what had happened. And listen to what they say. Let's look at at Mark chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town, in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, in his right mind, and they were afraid. It says they were afraid. Wow. So put yourself in this man's shoes just for a moment. Put yourself in his shoes if he even had shoes on. For a long time, this man had been driven by demons, dysfunctional, depressed, a danger to himself, a danger to society. But then he met Jesus 
and everything changed. See, through Jesus, what he experienced is what you experience every time you give your, you've given your life over to Jesus Christ. For every single one of us, he experienced deliverance. And Jesus still delivers today, and he still changes lives today. Amen? He still changes our lives. So you see, you know, it, 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 it doesn't matter what, what demons you wrestle with, guys. It doesn't matter. You know, whether, whether it's factual or figurative, Jesus could set you free from that. You know, maybe you're wrestling with demons of abandonment. Maybe that was something you faced in your life. Or, or maybe you're, you're, you're facing demons of abuse. Maybe you experienced that in your life. Or, or maybe you're experiencing demons of addiction. A lot of people in our society are experiencing that. Maybe you face debt. Maybe you have faced divorce or, or drunkenness or depression. Uh, you have bills that you can't pay. You have grades that you can't make. You have people that you just don't seem to be able to please. Whiskey you just can't resist pornography that you can't refuse what about a, a career that you just can't escape or a past that you can't shake or a future that you just don't want to face and the reality is this by ourselves we aren't strong enough to defeat those demons are we we're just not but let me remind you of how powerful our Lord and Savior Jesus is. A legion of demons trembled at the sight of Jesus and fled at his command. They were down on their hands and knees begging, begging. And you see, he, he delivered this demoniac in a seaside cemetery. And I want to tell you right now, Jesus can deliver us too. And finally, after undergoing destruction and deliverance, this once possessed man enjoyed one other word here. This demon possessed man enjoyed deployment. Deployment. Deployment? You know, what does that mean? Well, after what had happened, the townspeople began to panic. You know, it says that they were afraid. They couldn't handle, I mean, they, they could handle a couple demon-possessed people living in a graveyard because they just stay away from the graveyard. I don't have to go out there. But, they, but the man who cast out the demons and, 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 and drove a, 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 the demons into a herd of pigs into the sea absolutely terrified them. They were scared to death. And, and whoever owned the pigs was probably pretty upset too. I would think so. Losing 2,000 pigs. That's your livelihood there. And so the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away, just to leave their little community alone. And after, after you know, I'm thinking they're thinking, after all this damage that you've, that you've caused, you know, please just leave us. And being the gentleman that Jesus is, I think he respected their wishes. And here's what it says in Mark chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. It says, Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. 
Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, which he was leaving, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him that if he could go with him. This man wanted to go with him. Keep it going. Go to the next one. Jesus did not let him. Jesus said no to him, but said, go home to your people, your own people, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, or the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The Decapolis was ten different cities there. And he went around and he told what, had, what Jesus has done. You know, it's interesting that Jesus honored the request of the people to leave, but, but he, he wouldn't honor the request of the disciple that wanted to spend time with him. It's kind of interesting, but I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because Jesus had a greater purpose for him. Jesus sent him out on deployment. Jesus had a mission for this man to complete. He had a story to tell. And most dramatic before and after story that you're ever going to see in the scripture. And he would be effective sharing his story at home rather than out on the road with Jesus. I want you to think about that for a moment. There's some pretty serious implications there. See, if he went with Jesus and told strangers about all that Jesus had done for him, you know, people could very easily dismiss that as him being a liar or a lunatic. But if he went home to his family and his friends and his neighbors, people who knew him and knew what he was like before Jesus healed him and, and, and told them about Jesus, those people would be amazed and would be more apt to believe. You know, and, and he could reach a whole community with the message of God's goodness, the message of God's grace, the message of God's healing, where, where previously Jesus wasn't welcomed. You know, those, those ten cities, they literally became a mission field for this man who was healed. And I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to seriously take this to heart. No one, no one is ever saved to just sit around and do nothing. Once you're saved, you have a story to tell. The question that we have to ask is this. What am I doing to expand God's kingdom? What am I doing? What has Jesus done in my life that's worth sharing with someone else? What is he doing? Who, who am I able to share my story with that maybe no one else can reach but I can because I have a story to tell. You know, maybe you're not a Bible scholar, but, but you are an authority on your own life. No one knows your life better than you do besides Jesus. You know, many people who won't read the Bible or sit in church or sit through a sermon like this will listen to an honest personal story. So by sharing your own story, your before and after story, what you do 
And listen to this. This is important. What you do is you build a bridge that Jesus can walk across from your heart into someone else's heart. That's what you do. So the question is this. What what does all this mean? Well, Jesus can completely change someone's life. No question about it. Isn't it wonderful to see the change that Jesus made in this man's life? Went from a legion of demons in him to becoming a spreader of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where he used to be crying, living in the tombs, probably running around naked, you know, and they called him the streak. The fastest thing on two feet, you know. He was he was living in the tombs, probably running around naked, hurting himself. He couldn't be chained. He couldn't be controlled. And now he was this rational man who was happy, who, who was going to spread his story, spread the gospel. So if you ever wanted a poster child <clears throat> for the change that Jesus can make in someone's life, this is it. This is it. Do you realize that Jesus can make this change in your life as well? And, and, and I don't mean to say that, that you're demon-possessed. Well, most of you aren't anyway. But each of us is a sinner that has offended God. Each of us will someday have to answer for our sins before God. And I believe, and this is why I'm so, so I get emotional about it, but, but Jerry, he, he got it right. God sent Jesus to die for our sins and made it possible that we could be changed by repentance and baptism and, and by placing our faith in what he has accomplished on the cross. That's what Jesus did for Jerry. That's what Jesus did for Dixie. That's what Jesus has done for all of us here today. That's what he has done. Jesus took a, a scary story that nobody else could finish and he gave that story a happy ending. And I want you to remember what Jesus did for this demon-possessed man. I want you to know that, that God can change anybody's life. He did it back then and he still does it today. And he can change our lives. And so as we conclude this, you know, like the, the possessed man, anyone who has experienced the ravages of sin knows how destructive Satan can be. They know it. I'm going to have the band, if you guys will come on up here. I want, you to, I want you to remember this. But like this man, we can experience deliverance through Jesus. You know, it may not be immediate or dramatic as it was for this man, but Jesus can set us free from a life of sin from a life of self-destruction, he can do that. And then we too, we too, now listen to this. This is for all of us here. We too must deploy into our own communities, our families, and we need to share what Jesus has done in our lives because that's what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where he leads me, I will follow. Will you? It's a, it's a life journey of following in the footsteps of Jesus.
And I pray that that is what we will do, that we will follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. He's going to take us to places that we don't necessarily want to go. But you know what? It's like the disciples in that boat. The storm is raging around you. The best place to be is in that boat right beside Jesus. One of these days, you're going to have to stand before God. Guess who's going to be standing right by you if you are a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's Jesus. And Jesus is going to say to the Father, He's one of mine. She's one of mine. Let him in. Jerry's going to experience that soon. What a day. What a blessing. We'll turn it over to the band. This morning, if you need to come, if you need to give your life to the Lord, if you haven't done that, or whatever your need is, we offer that opportunity for you to come this morning.